It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello everybody and welcome to the Little Woman Podcast. Today's comment shout-out goes to Sinan, who says, quote, I never thought Amy Burning Joe's book was a good thing, but Joe March at the time doesn't treat Amy with respect. She belittles her, and I think that hurt Amy a lot. I always thought that people criticizing her being self-absorbed wasn't right, when her self-love is actually her self-defense mechanism, like, if nobody should ever love me the way they love each other, I shall still be there for myself and love myself. I think she had the fear of not being loved by Joe because they constantly argued. Louisa herself seemed to envy her sister May, but even though they were at odds sometimes, Louisa and May still loved each other. That is the same with Joe and Amy. End quote. It is actually really strange how most little woman adaptations in- include the part of Amy burning Joe's manuscript, but they never include the real reason why that happens. In the book, it is actually a result of Joe bullying Amy for the longest time. She makes fun of the way Amy speaks and pretty much everything that she does. Amy haters really should look into the mirror. That is all I say. This episode is all about May Alcott-Nierikker, who was Louisa May Alcott's younger sister and the real-life Amy. I am joined by a very dear little woman fan, all the way from Mexico, Chimena, and she has studied May Alcott's life and art, and is here to talk about her. Louisa and May had a pretty similar relationship to Joe and Amy, and what I think it's really interesting, and something that I think people don't pay that much attention is that they seem to have become a lot more closer as adults. Like, for example, they made a trip to Italy together at one point, and you don't travel to a very long trip like that if you hate the other person. So they became closer as adults, same way as uh, Joe and Amy in the book become closer after they have lost Beth. And in the book, Joe and Amy never argue about Laurie, which is the impression that you get from many adaptations. She envied Amy's and Laurie's happiness. Louisa May Alcott also seemed to have envied her sister. And if you have listened to this podcast before, you know that it is actually ridiculous when people say that Louisa May Alcott hated marriage or that she hated men or whatever. In her journals, Louisa writes how she envied her sister's life when May got married and became pregnant. She also wanted to get married and have a family. In these journals, she sounds very bitter. Quote, why one sister gets everything and the other nothing. And this is written during the time when she was already a millionaire. Chimena and I have known each other a couple of years now. She has some really good analysis on Little Woman. And she has a blog on Tumblr called The Other Art Blog. And since we are going to talk about art and painting in this episode, if you would like to see some of my Little Woman themed artworks, you can Head over to my art shop slash gallery. Links are in the description 
I have some Joanna Frederick artworks there and Amy and Laurie artworks. This is Small Umbrella in the Ray, Little Woman Podcast, Life and Art of May Alcott Nierikel. really interesting writing a lot about Amy I think Amy is still very underappreciated so I really enjoyed reading your stories yeah I think it has to do a lot with how we see these kind of girls who are especially blonde and they are very feminine and right now popular culture has transformed them into these brainless boring selfish people and fortunately I think Amy gets into that But I think also because Amy, everybody says that she's very vain and that she's very selfish and really, yes, she can be and she knows she can be, but she also always tries to improve herself. So I don't know, there's so many passages where you can see that she's really great and she's very selfless and and I don't know why people don't (laughs) don't get that. Fortunately, that uh, bad perception has translated into how we perceive May Alcott. We think she's exactly like that. Then she was exactly like that. They realized that she was very independent. She was very straightforward in what she believed. She depended as much as her family. She depended as her racism ideas. And she represented women. You know, people have often said that she wasn't as feminist as her, her sister. And what I found is that she... She may not have been active in the suffragette movement, but she, her fight was about giving women the opportunity to have artistic education as much as men. That's also a very important fight in the, in the book. May also published a book for young art students. Yeah, for yeah. women. I, I haven't read it, but I have read articles that talk about that. It was actually the first travel guide that was focused on on artists, and she focused on women, and she actually got a critique about about that. It's a very it's a, it's a small book, but she that she published in 1879, and it actually Louisa helped her because her publisher published May's book, and it's a great guide because she even criticizes the system and she criticizes, for example, the Academy de Julian. It was a very prestigious institution. She said, yeah, it's, it's it's a great institution for men, but for women, I mean, they're going to charge you double, and they're going to teach you how the things that they that you should know, because at that time, women weren't able to study from life models, especially male. That was out of the question, because they will get perverted or something like that. And so she recommends other studios where she studied, 
she studied at Monsieur Group Studio, and that studio allowed her to have this training, and that's where she she produced her masterpieces. That is so interesting, and you yourself, you are an art history student. Well, not yet. I study <laughs> international relations, but I've always liked art history. Oh, no, no. I, I, I studied since I, I went to high school. I got really interested. I got this class, and I fell in love with it, and I've been studying about it. It was really nice. That I think that's why Amy caught my attention so much, because she's a painter. Would you tell a little bit about amazing exhibition in the Paris Salon. That was really an honor. I mean, to exhibit in Paris Salon was like the best thing that could happen to an artist at that time. It was an institution that uh, at first it started like a small thing in Paris and then everybody wanted to be there. And so the fact that she, a woman from America, was able to exhibit it not once but twice was incredible. In 1877, she got in a still life she was so excited. She was she was mm. writing to her family about how she has sent it and she actually does a whole she tells us the whole account of of that day of how many paint, paintings were getting in and people. It was a very uh, important day in Paris. She's very humble and she's like, I don't expect that to, to get in. Uh, and then later she she learns that that it got in. And that not only it got in when she saw where it was where it was placed, she realized that it placed it at eye level, or almost at eye level, which was even more amazing because it could have been placed at the top of the of, of the building, at the top of the uh, the wall, where nobody could see. But the critics they thought that this painting was worthy of of attention, so she was very excited about that. And then in 1879, when Little Women was first published, uh, May had done uh, the illustrations for the first edition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she was very badly criticized. This is actually something that, this is how the novel The Other Alcott starts, with her being so uh, frustrated by this. And mm-hmm. instead of, of that like, discouraging her, it was like another reason to keep, to keep studying. And so, in this in Paris where she got into Crook's studio and she was able to, to study anatomy, her masterpiece is La Negrette. Yeah. It's a girl who is, it's a black girl who is a, it's just a portrait and that also got into the salon. And it's funny because it, uh, 10 years before she was decreased for her anatomical drawing and now she, her portrait was Wow, that is impressive. Yeah, it is. And uh, and also, you know, the fact that this was a portrait of a black girl, she exhibited her family's teaching of anti-slavery and yeah. anti-racism. She was praised by, not only for this, but by a black man. And her teachers praised her for how, with for the dignity that she gave to these people. They weren't just, you know, sometimes in our history, we'll, they only institute black people and servants or things like that. I mean, in, a, in very specific ways. And she gave these people the dignity. And so she exhibited how her family was was very anti, anti-racism more than just anti-slavery. I think it's something that people don't know enough about. 
their whole statement on the anti-racist issues and their work in the abolitionist movement. Being read Little Woman quite recently, you also read Little Man and the, and the sequels. Did you have any kind of presumptions about how the book would be like? Because you had only seen the 2019 film. Yeah, well, I think, uh, like a lot of people, I I watched the whole first tour. I think I did you know, one uh, interview without watching. And so I had a lot of preconceptions about what it was, about especially Laurie and Frederick and, you know, these girls. You know, everything that Greta said about uh, Laurie being an ally. And then <laughs> I, I read the book and I got really angry at Laurie so much. I was like, like... The, the thing that you have talked in your other podcast about catfishing Meg or the, the pranks that she pulls on Meg and John when they get married or how she talks about girls who um, who flirt with him and she likes it but then she also she also says that oh but those girls are they're not going to be taken seriously mm-hmm. and I was so mad when I was like wait is this the guy that I should be supposed to to love and to, to consider an ally was really, was really confusing to me. And then also, of course, uh, Frederick, it was also really confusing how, was like, well, I never saw him criticizing Patrick Joe. I never saw him, like, being rude to her or anything. They never actually fight. In the book, they don't have any kind of conflict, but then they have no. a conflict in every movie, so it is very confusing. Yeah, it's so confusing. And then it's like, Joe can't stop talking about him. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the letters, I was like, well, Marmy surely knew that that, that her mm. daughter was, was in love because she she can't stop uh, describing him. And it was, it's not like, oh, I met a friend and she's really nice. Not like she's like this and she's safe. And, she's, and you're like, yeah, I mean, this is not a friendship. So yeah, I, I, I think that yeah, the, the movie really shaped how I what I was expecting of the book, and then I got another thing completely different. I think I had something similar happening when I read Little Woman, but it was the 1994 film that I compared it to, because you know Christian Bessler, he's also very idealized, but then in the book, Laurie has a very long road process. I wish we could see that more in the adaptations, because then it makes a lot more sense why these couples work. Yeah, they, they happen. Yeah, and I thought another thing that I think that's really nice is that uh, other uh, adaptations, but that one is how the rivalry between Joe and Amy, that when I saw that, yeah, they fought in the first but I think by the time of the second, they have agreed to disagree, and they didn't fight that much. In the chapter calls, when they are meeting at March and and Carl, you know that's when Joe loses the trip to Europe. But it's not because of Amy; it's because she herself, you know, makes fun of the the ants, and then she also blurts that she doesn't like French, and they are going to France. So you can't really expect that Joe is going to get the trip to Europe because she's not interested. It's also one thing that you don't never really see in the adaptations. So people just say that Amy stole Laurie and Amy stole Joe's trip to Europe. And neither one of those things happens in the novel. So it is very, very confusing. But that's why I started this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you remember in the movie, Marvin is really sad that Joe can go to Europe. 
she puts on a face that she's like, oh my god, why is this happening? And Amy is so, like, thrown off by this. She's like, why can nobody be happy for me or something? Mm. And in the book, it's completely different. In the chapter of the art, Marmy even says to Joe, like, you bought it on yourself. Mm. Uh, and she's like, like, you have to be, you have to, like, be happy for Amy. And, and if you want to cry later, go cry later, but you have, you can't ruin this for Amy. Yeah, you can't really blame Amy for anything that Joe does to herself. Yeah. And I think yeah. that uh, it's sad because you can see that when I have read some of Louisa Mayalco's biographies, the biographers very often make made uh, Louisa's nemesis and they had a, a much closer relationship in real life. Also in, in the novel you can see that the sisters are very close and it's interesting because in the book both Joe and Amy are disappointed with Laurie and the way he's behaving. I think you mentioned in one of our discussions how May was a bit disappointed with um, Julian Hawthorne. I was, but by that time I was uh, reading a, a novel that was about May, the life of May, and it was Little Little Woman in Blue. Yeah. There are two novels, the other one called Little Woman in Blue, and this one they try to make Julia Hawthorne and May be, um, love, be, be, um, be a couple. I think that's completely fictional because Julian did say that he had a big crush on her, mm. but they were like six years apart and she was like 14 and she was like 20. And so it was, would have been a little bit uh, hard to, to be uh, a couple. To me, I, I don't think that would have happened. But yeah, it, it reminded me a lot in the novel. It reminded me a lot to Laurie because his father is Nathaniel Hawthorne. Even if she's struggling and she's sick and then she dies, and she doesn't have a lot of direction. And May is like, can, we, can you please focus and, and work or do something that, that is going to help you provide your family? And then she wants to marry her and she's like, wait a second, why do you want to, to do this? This is And you don't have a job, you don't have nothing, nothing. It reminded me a lot to, uh, to Laurie. I think both sisters, education was very important to them. So it might have been frustrating to see a friend being so uh, distracted by everything. Yeah, and, and I think more than anything, he was so privileged. And to yeah. see him, like, you have this privilege that we as women, but also poor people, can't have. And you're throwing it away. Yeah, that, that's really frustrating, too. I think to anyone. But yeah, to, to Joe and Amy, that was a big uh, thing. And also because it's not like she couldn't do it. Like, she graduated with honors. Mm-hmm. He, she, re- she recited the last narration. And I, I love that. I love that uh, Lori was able to do that. And Amy te- te- tells him, like, you can't do it. It's not that, like, you're, you're not stupid. You're, you're not, you're able to. Mm-hmm. So it's really a matter of, of willingness. That, that you, you, you don't work. Yeah, there is the chapter called Lazy Lawrence, and it's yeah. also the one where Amy really inspires him to try to do something with his life. That's how Laurie becomes a man. And it is yeah. a theme that Louisa Mayalco repeats in many of her novels. She always makes sure that if the woman ends up together with the, with the male character, the male character has to work for them, but also the female character also has to do something 
to inspire them. She always is looking for this perfect balance. It makes Little Woman a very modern novel in that sense. I also really like the article that she wrote about the importance of brown-skinned Laurie. We've had a very long discussions in the Little Woman discussion discussion group about these complicated family relationships that Laurie has and uh, all the Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, that family really had <laughs> bad luck. I mean, for all the money, all the privilege that they have, they really have lost so much. And yeah, the thing about Bernstein Laurie, I, I think a lot of people, like, because it's only mentioned once, a lot of people forget about it, but it's so important to know that some people say this story is so white. And it's like, well, it shouldn't be. You have Lori and also it may, you know, you have the discussion with German immigrants and you have a lot of these uh, emphasis of Lori, for example, she doesn't, you know, why would a, a boy who's so privileged be friends with these girls and just doesn't fit either? And and that's why they this really nice friendship. But yeah, Brown's to Lori is something that I've come to defend and i come to, like, really try to see to found like, you know, like, okay, who would you cast in this mm-hmm. role? Because it's really important to know that people in the North, even though they were against slavery, they weren't anti-racist. I have uh, my theory that maybe that was one of the reasons why Mr. Lawrence didn't like Laurie's mo- mother. He might have changed in, in, the pro- in the his thought in the process, but yeah, it's, it's really important that Laurie is also not in a position. She's, she's in a position of power. You know, she's not the the, um, the servant or she's not the, for the, um, yeah, the poor foreign friends or something like that. She's going to be one of the, um, of the richest uh, persons in Concord, maybe in Massachusetts. When Amy says between Jesus and about Fred being richer than him, it's like, like, it doesn't happen very often. And so that makes him get jealous. And so, you know, he, he really has privilege and he's a, a person of color. And I think that's important to, uh, to portray. Uh, unfortunately, every adaptation, uh, they get the whitest actor at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. I was thinking what you said because the book, it doesn't really give any actual explanation why the older Mr. Lawrence rejected the marriage between Laurie's parents, but that makes a lot of sense if he had some kind of personal biases uh, against yeah. Italians during that time, and there was lots of um, xenophobia against Italian immigrants. Italian, like we were talking just yesterday, they had a really negative preconception about people being too much. They were very, they are very expressive, and they are very, they can be a little too much, and they can be mess and they and it's like uh, I mean as a Mexican I think like yeah that's some other things they people say about mm-hmm. so yeah I, I relate to that and it's, it's really fortunate that those those preconceptions are still today and uh, yeah the Italians uh, not only in, in America but also in all Western Europe they still have these stereotypes and yeah I think yeah it's, I mean this is all my my guess I think the Italian aspect had a lot to do. Maybe the, uh, the, the color of, of the skin of Lori's mother. Maybe the religion, if she was uh, Italian. I think it's fair to assume that she was Catholic, maybe. You have talked about 
Nadi Kabrokal, we were trying to figure out where is that granddaughter that Mr. Lawrence mm. loved. And maybe it was Lori's father, it was her second wife. And so maybe that also has a lot to do. Maybe. It's all speculation, but you, yeah. the book doesn't really give you an answer what it comes to this. Uh, it is fascinating. Louisa May Alcott, and, well, the old Alcott family and the transcendentalists, they were very, well, they believed the idea of the universal family. And of course, Louisa loved Germany, so of course, Joe marries a German. In Rosenblum, one of the female American characters actually marries a Chinese man. You can find lots of international marriages and relationships in Louisa's novels. It is a little bit, no, not a little bit, but very disappointing that it's now like we've had 100 years of little woman films. And like you said, Laurie's <laughs> actors are always widest of the widest. You don't really see that diversity. Yeah, I mean, I can understand how even the 1990s does that. Like, yeah, I think part of the history of the United States, I think it was in the start of the, was the first interracial piece, and that was a big deal. So, yeah, I can understand why the, uh, the, the 30s, the 40s, you know, all these adaptations mm-hmm. does that. But in the 2010s, that they still do that, it's still, it's disappointing that I think a lot of Brahmin people would be very, would feel represented and would be very uh, happy to see that. Yeah, I mean, there are shows like Bridgeton and even Anne with an E, and they try to include at least a bit more diversity to the cast. But then this book was already written in 1868 with a very diversial cast, uh, with a bunch of um, international characters with different skin colors. And I think you also mentioned something that I hadn't noticed, that the servant lady of Aunt March, um, Esther, that she she changed her name. Her real name is Estelle. Oh, that's so pretty. <laughs> she to Esther to make more American. Uh, yeah, Esther is such a... Uh, it's also a character that even though it feels very very little her appearance um, it, it interests me a lot because she's Catholic when Amy is there she's very worried about um, uh, no, Beth sorry yeah. she's very worried about Beth and so I send you a question about how well she's kind of low he tries to to introduce Amy these Catholic uh, traditions and these Catholic rituals and they work and they they make Amy feel better. And I was reading about an article that says that more than any other sister, Amy has a very Catholic approach in the way that she finds religion through beauty. And the Catholic Church is spent so much money in uh, making art and beautiful paintings. And so that's that's really interesting how she she feels very connected to the old masters, but to the masters from France and Italy. They were Catholic and then they were fought, they fought for the country reform. That makes a lot of sense because Amy, she's a very visual person and she's inspired by every, all things that are beautiful. And I think it's even mentioned in the in the first book, even though she didn't have you know a lot of things that she owned, she always tried to work with the things that she had and make it more, more eye-catching. Yeah, there's, I think, I was just reading yesterday a, a few quotes about Amy and when Mr. March comes back and all the girls are there 
and she's waiting patiently for, for her father to, to compliment her because he's going to all the all the girls and he's seeing the improvements. And she says, this is my girl who can, can make everything more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I someone in Tumblr or somewhere, I, uh, I saw that, she, that they said, yeah, we, we need those kinds of people that can, that can turn something that might not be very nice and they can turn it into something very beautiful. Yes, we do. We do need them. It was, you know, interesting about Estelle. And then there is a, a other French character. It's the little Tina in the boarding house who is based with Fritz. There are some French characters as well, but they are not as much talked about as these Italian and German characters. What we have talked previously is that uh, the Alcott family has no problem in maybe I'm going to if there's a church that is definitely well, that's, that's not, it's not a problem. You know, mm-hmm. It's not like, because from what I've read, Massachusetts was, was a very hostile place for Catholics that even they forbid it. So the fact that uh, the March family, the Alcots, were, didn't have a problem with that, I think also makes them different and makes them much more tolerant than everybody else. Like, on March, it was like, Okay, you got uh, to a cell, she says, okay, fine, you can be Catholic. But you're going to change your name. <laughs> yeah, well, Anne-Marc, I think she's a brother of the first time, so we can't really win. But, but, yeah, it's the March family are much more tolerant. Yeah, I think the difference that people don't really understand between Joe and Amy is that if Amy is someone who tries to make things uh, more beautiful and more aesthetically pleasing, Joe doesn't really care about that. And it's like she's more interested on uh, the way things are, that the things are real and raw. There's this scene in Little Woman where when Joe enters to the boarding house and she sees Friedrich eating and he's like shoveling his food. And it's really funny because Joe says that Amy would totally yeah. turn her head away, but she thinks that he's handsome and masculine when he eats. And, uh, you know, I like Joe and Fritz, but I really didn't understand that scene when I first read it. When I started to read more about Louise's relationship with Henry Taro, there's a journal entry from Louisa where she actually describes how she thinks the way Henry is very handsome and he's very masculine. Then I was thinking, maybe the problem with people is that we try to adjust Joe to be like ourselves. We don't really understand her need to appreciate sort of more unconventional way she sees the world. I don't know if I'm prefacing this right, but it's like the way when Friedrich is keeping his speech in the symposium about the difference between real fate and this new worldview that he opposes. Joe wants to clap for him because she's so excited about it and she agrees with him. So I think it kind of shows that Joe doesn't really see the world the same way as Amy. Remember that part, she's like, her lady, her lady would be so horrified by that <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, Amy is a very visual person and she's much more interested in the academy. That's why she and Lori are so well suited because she's also like that. And it's like we were talking about just, just yesterday about what if Lori realizes Joe is a torment <laughs> once they get married? 
Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Everyone deserves to enjoy a McRib at least once in their lifetime. Because when you're this saucy and tangy and tasty, a life without one creates a serious case of FOMO. The McRib is back. Don't miss the classic you've been craving. Get a McRib, filet of fish or Big Mac and get another for a dollar or mix and match. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And it's much more interesting. Yeah, Billy. And it's much more interesting. Yeah, Billy. And that's why she and Lori are so well suited because she's also like that. And, you know, it's like we were talking about just yesterday about what if Lori realizes Joe is a torment and they once they get married, they realize that it's nothing, not nothing, but. Not enough to make a marriage work. That would have been so horrible, horrible. So then, because it's not like that. Divorce was very common or very well seen back then. So yeah, I mean, and Joe, yeah, she's much more interesting in the ideas of of the, of, of Frederick. And yeah, that part of the book, I have to say, I have reread it a few times, and I'm like, the more that I read it, the more that I like Frederick because he's, she. You realize then how much he belongs in that family because he, in a room full of people that think completely opposite to him, she, she didn't, she didn't just stay quiet, she didn't speak up and she, she said what Joe wants to say even mm-hmm. and that's why she loves him. Yeah, I think somebody said uh, that that's the moment where her crush began, began transforming to more into love. Yeah, really lovely. What it comes to sort of taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Tender masculinity in little woman. It's like you said in that chapter where Laurie's composing the opera, he's trying to picture Joe as a princess, and it doesn't work because Joe doesn't want to be a princess, and Laurie knows that. And then he's like, oh, that girl is a torment. And I was thinking like, well, in that relation with Amy, then... It brings out Laurie's tender masculinity, but then in, when he's with Joe, it's the opposite because they kind of start to bring the worst sides of each other, and it's not always that pretty. Yeah, they, they really, like you, you have talked about it, and they even get into behavioral that it's toxic, and it's like, like this thing that I was more about them criticizing girls for including, and then Laurie has a whole. Been going on with a, a girl who's called Miss Randall, 
I don't know if that's really her name, but that's how they call her. And she sends her flowers and she's trying to flirt with her, with her. And she never reciprocates the, the relationship. She even gets engaged and she doesn't care about Lori. In a way, she could see that she wasn't being serious. Uh, about it, which is funny because that also happens a little bit similar with Nat when she's in, in Europe and she's sitting with a girl and she knows they see it and it's like home. And so she's not really being serious, but she's still doing it, which is that it's very common in male characters, but it doesn't depict a very good behavior. Yeah, no. Well, Laurie and Nat, they are both written to be a bit flicky with Nat. When he was in Germany, he was caught into this uh, life that was very un- unfamiliar to him. He was very, very lost when, when all of it happened. And he behaves like he cannot control the situation. He just goes with the flow. But then at home, you know, Daisy is waiting for him. And also he has a good train of money. You know, and Lori mm-hmm. didn't have that. Lori yeah. <laughs> as much money as he, as he wanted. And that's why she goes six months, like doing nothing and, you know, wasting time and wasting, uh, you know, uh, he says that she prefers to be pampered uh, by people who are unworthy instead of being close to hardworking people. Not, I think that was a good thing, that she was restrained by money and that when she got, you know, he wasted too much money, she kind of, that forces him to, to think things twice. Lori didn't have that. Yeah, they also, they both need a direction. And it's a nice comparison to Little Man because Nat was accused from stealing money and uh, during that time Daisy was the one who believed in him. So yeah. Louisa kind of repeats the same story in Joe's voice because when Joe and Fritz said they all hear these worrying news about Nat but Daisy always keeps believing in him. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah, Laurie also is like, don't worry, she's gonna, gonna wake up. Like she's gonna, yeah, she's, she's, she's like going around but don't worry, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. You know, I think she has faith also. Yeah, I think, Amy, I like that chapter when she, you know, taps his hand and said, you're not being as productive as you could be. Like, when he goes to Vienna, it's, you know, those words, they come to his mind when he's trying to compose, and then he rips over this, this opera that he, that he has been composing, and he says, I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to be a fool anymore, I'm just going to do some honest work. I think those were his words. Do some honest work. And then he goes to work for his grandfather. Yeah, I once read uh, a blog where they said that Amy sort of, you know, when she says she doesn't have millions, she sort of pulls Lori to that also. And so, you know, that's why she stopped. She stopped composing. Really, she... And I, I, I don't remember. I think you said it was somebody else in Dumbledore that, well... Lori never really showed any sort of dedication towards music. She never really, like, sit down and study actually music. She wants to be a, a she's like a fighter. She wants to be real, a boy. I want to be an, an, an astronaut. And then you don't do any work and you expect to be an astronaut. And she was that really composing. Uh, she gets bored about that. She realizes that she doesn't like that. And yeah, she, she starts creating earnest work. And that's, that's what growing up is about. I think, and the five people don't understand it. It's really frustrating. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. she 
immaturing, like be happy for him. He finally realizing that he has to be a productive member of society. When there are characters who are like born with money, Luisa is always very critical about them. In Luisa Melvis knows a lot of times the unhappiest people are the are the rich people. It's actually quite interesting. But I think what Luisa is trying to say is that you can only feel fulfillment when you do the work that you enjoy. But of course, Laurie doesn't have experience of that. And I think that actually might be one of the reasons why he sort of becomes a bit obsessed about chasing Joe, because it gives him some kind of meaning. Then he realizes that it's actually not a very healthy way to fill your time with. Yeah, and also I think it has a lot to do with how privileged he is, that he has everything he wants, and mm-hmm. so when some, you know, somebody like Joe says no, he can't take it, and he has to learn it the hard way that he has to let her go, and that's a fundamental part of his story, and it's not in the in the uh, in the adaptation, but yeah, that part when he goes to the end, I think. Louisa, I think she even described that he goes to the church and he very solemn about it, he's letting go that that part of himself that he changed for so long. He's very serious about it. One of my favorite you know, screen Laurie's is the Laurie in the 1978 series. And I think I, the reason why I like that because it spent a lot of, a lot of time showing Laurie's relationship with his grandfather and how complicated it is in the beginning. And then they grow to understand each other and even build this very warm relationship in the end. Because I always liked that, that scene in the book when older Mr. Lawrence said that, well, I'm going to Europe and you should come. He's going to help him to move on. Helps to see that he's going to become that valuable person in society. It's also one of the very rare adaptations where they show that Laurie has a temper, but it also has a quite nice arc with um, Laurie and Amy. Yeah, are you talking about the uh, episode series? No, the, the, other the, the, yeah. the other one. Well, I, I do like well, both of the 70s series, but I think the 78 series had a bigger importance with relationship between Laurie and the grandfather. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's something that it's lacking. I think most, most of the times people pay attention to how Mr. Lawrence and Beth connect, and Laurie, Laurie and his grandfather don't always get that, the attention. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting relationship because, you know, who knows how how much Mr. Lawrence knew about Laurie before coming to America. He had been in boarding schools and, you know, maybe he didn't personally knew him for, for years. So yeah, it's a really interesting relationship. And then at the end of the book, it says that Lori, Amy and Mr. Lawrence are always together. That's really nice that, you know, the, the marriage also helped their relationship between the grandson and grandfather. It was uh, made in heaven. Yeah, I, I really like Lori's and, um, Older Mr. Lawrence and how they sort of come together with these strange circumstances. But then you can also understand why he, why Laurie feels so very lonely because he feels that he doesn't want him there because he, he lost his son. And it's really sad when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not so much. I think Mr. Lawrence, you know, like on March, they are both cranky because 
all the losses they have had to endure and that I don't that that's something that sometimes especially on March is like you are nice and it's like well try to understand her. She she has lost her family and the marches are not really very nice to her either. Yeah, that's true and I think Amy is really the only person who she starts to develop some kind of a warmer relationship. I actually think that Aunt March sees more herself in Joe than in Amy, and that's why she's so hard on Joe. But I think with Amy, she sees the potential. Yeah, yeah, I think Aunt March, I think you can see the fact that she left her the, uh, the house, that, you know, it's not, you know, even Joe says that, that she had been unkind to her and even and but on March loves her anyway and uh, she kind of regrets what she did uh, in the past and because on March even though she can be very hard she also has moments where I love when she says to John after the wedding she says you have a treasure and you should see that see that you deserve it and so that shows how much this woman loves love the world you know. She might not have liked the marriage, but she knows Maggie's happy, mm-hmm. and that and John had to work to be working for. People who are very against the novel often say that oh, and March married for money, and you know she she wanted everyone to marry for money. Then if you read the book, and March married for love, and she yeah. and. It's interesting because, you know, her husband actually was written to be a lot like Friedrich. And it's quite funny. And Joe even de- describes how her uncle uh, had a big library and he, he liked kids. And uh, then um, Aunt March and her belated husband, they lost their child. So she married for love. And then she was very cranky and sad and alone when, when she lost them. Yeah, and I think that even if she... Her parents arranged the marriage. It's not that like you have to fake the husband that people choose for you. You can actually fall in love and you can actually uh, form a, a really nice partnership. And you know, whether she married for love or not, she did end up loving him. She, she misses him and her her daughter. And I, at first, I didn't, I didn't saw that because there are so many details in, in the book mm. that you can kind of quickly forget about and, and yeah she pointed it out in something in a post and I was like oh yeah it, it was a little girl and maybe that's why you know when the marches lost everything she was like well maybe I can take care of one of them and the marches are very angry at this they're like uh, how dare you you know we are going to stay together as family maybe she was lonely and she was like well I can take care of one of these girls and give her a, a nice life and on March if the uh, Happens a little bit uh, like what happened with Amy. You, people think they have to have feelings in the story, and like, well, not really. These are all, all uh, family, they love each other, and they, they are complex, there's no feelings. I don't think Aunt March was particularly wealthy when she was younger, because, you know, it is mentioned that before the incident where Joe's father was had to resign because he took a black child to the school. The family was a bit wealthier. They weren't so incredibly poor like they are in the book. I guess they were more like in the middle class. I just always assumed that Aunt March married the wealthy businessman 
But once again, it's more of a speculation because you don't really get that much her background story. But, you know, marrying for money turned out good for her. So, of course, she wants the same for her nieces. Yeah, and especially I think she had a lot of hope for men and then that obviously didn't work. I think in a way, she unconsciously pushed men to jump because when she goes and she, she settles the question and she, uh, um, she pushes men and she is so angry that she was like, well, you know what? Yes, I'm gonna marry him. Then she knows Joe is, is not gonna do it. Very sick. And so it's like, well, Amy, Amy feels like a good option. That, and even then, she never tells her, like, in the, in the 2019, that, that, uh, on marches, like, she tells her, like, you have to get married. Well, that doesn't really happen in, in, in the book. She did, that was her intention, but at least that's not a conversation that actually happens in the book. Yeah, that's, that's true. I had lots of problems with the <laughs> March in 2019, Phil. But, uh, it's so funny in the book because the the chapter where Chuck, well, he doesn't propose, he just confesses Meg that he's in love with her. The chapter is called Aunt March Settles the Question. Thank you so much for listening. Jimena and I continue our discussion next week. Take care and make good choices. Bye. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today.